Now, one of the greatest hidden realities of the Christian faith, one of the greatest, I think, hidden truths of the Christian life is this, that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ struggle to pray. I think one of the hidden realities in a church like this, the hidden realities of the Christian faith, is that people profess Jesus as Lord, they struggle in their prayer lives, and they struggle to pray. I think we should be dedicated to prayer, don't you? Um, Given that this amazing truth that Scripture tells us that our Creator listens to us when we pray. Like, there's no question about it. As God's people, we should be dedicated to, to prayer. And I'm sure you would agree with that. But there's another dimension here as well, isn't there? That actually you and I should be delighted to pray. That should be the number one passion in our life. We should be excited to pray, given the amazing grace that God has extended to us as his covenant people. And yet... You're with me, aren't you, when I say that prayer is a battlefield, isn't it? I mean, prayer is a battleground from which we too often retreat. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we struggle. We struggle to pray. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, Christian friend, I guess I can, I can say, I can start by saying to you that we've got a bit of good news for you this morning. Because what we're going to do, we're going to turn a portion of scripture, a portion of God's word, where the Lord Jesus Christ not only teaches us about how we should pray, but in this section of scripture, the Lord Jesus also gives us instruction about what we're supposed to pray for. So you're with me, that's good news, isn't it? Like this morning, we're struggling to pray, but Christ Jesus in his word is going to teach us about how to go about doing this. But before we get actually to the text, just let me mention the structure of the sermon really briefly to you. Because it's a little bit unusual this morning. Because what we're going to do is kind of split the sermon into two halves, not your usual three Ps and a poem from your minister this morning, but splitting the sermon into two halves, okay? In the first half, we're going to consider the characters of prayer. So we're going to look at three character studies, very short character studies that you've actually got in front of you in God's Word. So the characters of prayer. Then we'll move into the second half of the sermon, and we're going to consider the content of prayer. So what it is, ask God's people, we should be praying about or praying for us. Has everyone got it? No, it's not difficult, is it? We've got two points. We've got the characters of prayer, three character studies, and then the content of prayer. That's set out. That's the agenda. That's, God willing, that's what we'll be looking at this morning. So, you know how we roll. You know what I'm going to ask you to do, don't you? First thing we do, we pick up our Bibles. and We have our Bible open. Make sure you've got that there. Matthew 6, either on your phone or on these beautiful paper copies we've got of scripture here. Matthew 6, 5 to 15. And the characters, the characters of prayer. Okay. Now, everyone in here remembers uh, where we are at this moment in Matthew's gospel. We do, right? We do. We know. Um, At this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking about your religious piety. Isn't he? He's speaking about your devotional life, your religious practice. And he's speaking about that under this guiding principle. Remember what it was from two weeks ago? That we should not be, as God's people, practicing religion 
for the praise of men. That was a great guiding principle that we saw two weeks ago. Now, the last time that we were in Matthew, we saw how that principle affects our Christian giving. We are to be a people who give to the poor, we give to the life of the church, the mission of God. As Christians, we do that. But we're not to do that looking for recognition from each other or even for ourselves. We saw it in Christian giving. Now, you can see that the focus changes this morning in Matthew. Did you notice that? The focus goes from giving to how this principle works out in your prayerfulness, your prayer lives. And I think if you look at verse 5, you're going to get the first of the character studies. In verse 5, now boys and girls, some of you are using the worksheet, aren't you? And you've got a blank to fill in for the first character study. Let me give it to you, boys and girls. The first character study is the Pharisee. The Pharisee. So your mums and dads will help you spell that, I'm sure. The Pharisee. Friends, let's read verse 5 together, shall we? Let's read it together. Jesus says to us, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the people we've seen are Pharisees. For these Pharisees, they love to stand and they love to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. And then it's spelled out for us, isn't it? That they may be seen by others. Now, in other sections of God's word recently, we've really had to work hard haven't we? Like we've really had to wrestle to try and establish what did the Pharisees teach? What were they doing? What were the practices? We don't have to work too hard there. Aren't you with me? Like the idea that Jesus is putting before us is really, really straightforward. What's the idea here? The Pharisees love to parade themselves in prayer, didn't they? Don't you get that impression here? The Pharisees, they love to be seen. To pray. They love to limelight in prayer. They love to show off in prayer. In fact, Doesn't it remind you of that parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18? You know this part. I'm sure most of you know the parable of the Pharisee and the publican or the Pharisee and the tax collector. Do we know that story? We know the story? On one hand, you had this publican, this tax collector. Do you remember how he went into the temple? He comes into the temple and he's so sheepish to pray to God. And he's, and he's genuinely contrite of heart and he's repentant. And do you remember that, that he can't even bring himself to look up to pray? And he's, he's, he's bowing before God, genuine, sincere before God. You had, you had the tax collector. Who else did you have? You had the Pharisee. And where was he? Man, he was right up the front of the temple. And he was just giving it licks in prayer, wasn't he? Making this grand show of praying. And he was, you know, praying with one eye open just to see if everyone was looking at him as he prayed. And he was just loving this. And he's praying. And isn't that the idea you've got in front of you here? Jesus speaking against ostentatious prayer. Attention-seeking prayer. Now, as we apply this, I have to throw out a warning to you. A caution. Because I wonder if you see the temptation that's before us this morning. You hear of hypocrites in prayer. What do you do? If you're anything like me, you think of other people, don't you? Jesus says, do not be like, you mustn't be like that. Those hypocrites in prayer. And what do you think? You think back to other people in the church, right? You think about people you used to know. Maybe people with a praying voice. 
You know, maybe people you know, bygone era, maybe people who love to make big, big grand gestures and, and prayer, make a big, sh- you think of other people, don't you? And I've got to say this here and listen to me, be very, very careful here. Because it isn't the case for all of us, those people in here who are Christians, that we also pray sometimes looking for the praise and admiration of other people. We pray, you pray, I pray, and we consider the praise of men. Isn't that right of you? Like think of you who have been to a house group Bible study, and it's that awkward moment where you work around the prayer in the room, and it's your turn to pray. And you pray, and the first thought afterwards is, did I get away with it? Well, these people in the room know that I have not been praying much at home by myself. What do they think? Or you pray, don't you, at a prayer meeting? And you feel compelled to pray, and, and you pray at that prayer meeting. What's your first thought? I wonder what they thought of that prayer. What if they thought, did, did they like my use of scripture? Like, did I sound very sincere? Or what about the men in this room who come up here to preach? There's a number of us, elders, ministers in here, and walk up to the front and part of the service we pray. And do you know what? If we're honest, sometimes, do you know what we think when we pray, even as leading you in worship? Do you know what we think? We think, I wonder what the congregation thought of my prayer. I wonder what the church thought. Do you see what I'm saying to you? We immediately think, oh, we mustn't be hitting God. That's for you. That's for other people. And this is for us. Jesus says to you, friend, you must not be like the hypocrite in prayer. But then we can move on, can't we? Because we can see another, can we see it? We see another character study in front. wonder if you got it or not. Have a look at verse 7. We've dealt with the Pharisee. We're now introduced to, boys and girls, you're ready for the blank? It's not the Gentile, we're going to say, for alliterative purposes. It's the pagan, as the Gentile would have viewed them. So we've seen the Pharisee. And now the pagan. And friends, I'm sure you would read verse 7 with me to see what Jesus says. Let's read verse 7. Jesus says to us, when you pray, here it is, you ready? Do not heap up empty phrases in prayers the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For... Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, there's a number of people at LCPC in here just now for whom English is not your first language. Isn't that right? There's a number of non-native English speakers in here. Now, I just want to speak to you for a moment because I just want to check myself here that I'm on firm ground. Um, Is it the case that we all know the phrase babbling on? Like if English is not your first language, you know the phrase babble. You know, you've heard that expression before, haven't you? Most of you are nodding. Um, We know what it means. We know that babbling on means speaking nonsense continually, doesn't it? Isn't that the sort of idea? Just like piling up words and we're just not engaging. Piling up words, just just useless, empty words. Right now, you can see, I hope, that in Matthew chapter 6, that is the very idea that the Lord Jesus Christ is confronting you with, isn't it? There is an element here of us not patronizing God in prayer. Do you see that idea here? That we're not to pray as though we have to explain 
explain everything to God when we pray. That's definitely an idea here, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's the idea of you and I not being thoughtless, isn't it? It's the idea of us just praying and not engaging our minds, praying and not engaging our hearts, praying and not thinking it through. Thoughtless prayer, isn't that it? Just empty words, not engaging our minds. Now, what is the easy thing to do with this? The easy thing to do, again, is to apply this to other people. I could go to town on this, couldn't I? I mean, we could apply this to other religions. They think that chanting... Just empty chanting is somehow praying to the creator. I could go off on one of that, right? Or what about even could go off in the Catholic church, could we? We could, we could roll that one out. We could, rosary beads, counting rosary beads and reciting set words. That, ah, is that not the definition of piling up empty phrases like the Gentiles do? It'd be so easy for us, wouldn't it? And you know exactly what I'm going to say. This might be for other people. But this is for you and this is for me as well. Because as Christians, is it not the case in your own prayer life that very often we just go through the motions? Is that just me? I don't think it is. We go through the motions in prayer, do we not? You know what I mean? Like when we pray, sometimes we just fall back on these stock phrases that we use in prayer all the time. Do you know what? We just don't engage our minds. Sometimes when we pray, we don't think about who we're praying to, what we're praying about. Sometimes we even do that with scripture. We recite scripture in prayer. We're not even thinking about what we're saying, not engaging our minds. Now, do you see it? This is not just for other people. This warning from Jesus about the Pharisee, but about the pagan, this is for us too. We must not store up empty phrases in prayer. So we see the Pharisee and pagan. And then we've got the third. Boys and girls, are you alert for the third character study? So we've got the pagan, we've got the Pharisee, but we also have the person of God. We have the Christian. Maybe we've got a number of lecturers in the congregation week by week, and we've got, certainly we've got a number of teachers in the church. And so maybe you, if you're a teacher, um, maybe you very much appreciate what Jesus does in this section of scripture, do you? Do you see what he's done? The Lord Jesus Christ teaches us negatively, doesn't he? Like he sets up a net, you must not do this. So he teaches us negatively about prayer. But what else does the Lord Christ do here? Did you notice? He teaches us positively too, sets before you a positive example. So I'm going to ask you to look at it. Have a look at verse 6 to see how we're supposed to pray. Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door, pray to your father who's in secret. Now, I want you to look at it again. First thing I want you to notice about those words is the assumption in the second words. What's the second words? Jesus says to us, when you pray. Now, do you know what I could do? I could just repeat what I said two weeks ago. Couldn't I? It's the same thing. Jesus assumes, Christian friend, that you give. I could just say, Jesus assumes that you pray... But I want you to notice this. Look at the beginning of verse 5. Look at the beginning of verse 6. Look at the beginning of verse 7. You begin to see how forceful 
this. Do you begin to feel the strength of this? The Lord Jesus Christ expects you, Christian, to lead a prayerful existence. That's what you've got there, isn't it? That is the most basic assumption, most basic expectation of us by God is that we will live a prayerful life as the human being is expected to breathe. So the Christian is expected to pray. You see the assumption here? Then look, cast your eyes back to the verse, verse six. Look at the direction of the prayer as well. Isn't that interesting? The direction of the prayer. To, to whom are we to pray? We're not to pray as the Pharisee does. We're not to pray to, to each other. We're not to pray as the pagan does and to pray into thin air. But we are to pray to our Father. Now you see the idea that we are to, when we pray as Christians, we are to give great consideration to the recipient of our prayers. That we get to pray to the Creator, the Almighty, the Maker, God, the Almighty God. We get to pray to Him. And then the last of these, do you also notice the location of our prayer? Maybe again the boys and girls can notice it. Mums and dads point the boys and girls to the location of prayer in verse 6. Do you see? Boys and girls, where do we pray? We are to go into our room. And what are we to do? Close the door and you are not off the hook. I mean, this is not a a section of scripture that prohibits a prayer meeting. You're you're not off the hook, okay? Elsewhere in scripture, these are condoned, encouraged. We are to pray together. But what do you learn in that? That the majority of your prayerfulness should be behind closed doors and in solitude. You should not come to the prayer meeting and that be the only time in the week that you pray. We are to go into our room. We are to close the door behind us. Why do we do that, do you think? Why do we close the door behind us? You say, so that we're not disturbed? We are, more than that, we are to close the door so that we are closed in with our God. It is us and our God. And if we pray like this, what happens What awaits if we pray, pray passionately, sincerely to our Father in heaven, not just babbling on what happens. Do you know what's at the end? Reward awaits. And I wonder if London City Presbyterian Church, we have forgotten, forgotten the reward. What is the reward if we pray like this? Our creator, our maker, our covenant God, he will hear and he will answer our prayer. And we see here the catters of prayer. Okay. You remember, I'm sure what I said at the very start of this sermon. I said that we were going to split this into rough halves. So secondly, we move into, do you remember what it was? The content of prayer. So we've seen the characters of prayer and the content of prayer. Oh, I think we face an almost impossible task here. I, I do. I've wrestled with us. I wonder if you see what I mean about it being an impossible task. As we move on in the section of scripture, we come now to the Lord's Prayer, this model for prayer, isn't it? It's a pattern for you in how you should pray. It's a guide. It's a template for prayer. Now, it is a section of scripture that books have been written about, you know, and Two-year-long sermon series have been preached on the Lord's Prayer, this model for prayer. Do you see why it's an impossible task? I'm going to try and cover it in a few moments. So it's an impossible task, I think. All things are possible to our God. So, so how are we going to do this? 
What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Well, just as in the first half, we looked at three character studies more, more briefly, my friends. We are going to think about three principles that should govern your prayer. So the Lord in the Lord's Prayer teaches us three principles that we can take into our life prayer. So you're going to get these? First is this. We learn that our prayers should reflect concern for the glory of God. I'll say it again to you. Our prayer, your prayer, should reflect concern for the glory of God. See, I think um, we know this prayer reasonably well. Um, lots of us in this room just now learned this prayer when we were growing up, didn't we? And you perhaps memorized this prayer. Your mums and dads maybe taught it to you. Maybe you learned it at Sunday school, did you? If you were here last week, a man called Dr. Kelly was here. Who could forget Dr. Kelly? And he said in a sermon that this portion of scripture is recited by, I don't know what, if you put a figure on it, but let's say millions of believers every single week. So you know, I think, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm pretty confident you'll have an answer for this question. What is the first thing that we are to pray for in the Lord's Prayer? What's the first thing? You see it in verse 9. Because we pray to our Father in heaven, and then we pray this, hallowed be your name, don't we? Isn't that so familiar? I remember being a little totty kid in a Scottish primary school, and our headmaster would always teach us that. Like every week, he would teach us the Lord's Prayer, make sure we got it, and he was always, you know, Andy, hallowed be your name. That's what you pray, hallowed be. Now, I've got a follow-up question for you. What are we praying when we pray those words? I mean, because they're really familiar to us, aren't they? Oh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. But what are we praying there? Holy be your name. Isn't it a little bit confusing? Like, what are we praying? Are we praying, God our Father, can you grow in holiness? Hallowed, holy be, I mean, we're praying, is that it? God, could you become more holy? We know that that is not what we're praying. What we pray, hallowed be your name. What, what are we doing? We are bowing before God and we're asking God that he might be increasingly revered. Isn't that actually, think of it, that's the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. The first concern of the Lord's Prayer. We are praying that God might increasingly become recognized by us, by other people as the sovereign omnipotent, but the thrice holy God, hallowed be your name. You're with me? So the first concern, that's a thought, the first petition is this, that, 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 that God's, we'd have a concern for God's glory, but I wonder if you agree with this, that that idea, that concern only intensifies as the prayer goes on. Because look at what comes next in verse 10. It's stunning when you think about it. The next thing we pray is your kingdom come. Do you, do you see that, friend? We are to pray with one eye on the day where God's glory will fully be revealed. Your kingdom come. What else? Because that's the same theme. Do you see what else? See what's next? That God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying that life on earth will increasingly come to reflect its heavenly counterpart. Why? 
for the honor of God, for the glory and the praise of God. Doesn't it strike you? I mean, read it anew. The whole of the first half of this prayer isn't about us. It's not about your kids' schooling. It's not about your auntie's health or your granny's health. The whole of the first half of this prayer is about the fame of your God, about the glory of Jesus Christ. And so you know what I have to do. I have to apply this. And I have a pointed question for you. This is a model of how you and I are supposed to pray. Do you pray like this? Like when you get up first thing in the morning, as I pray as your pastor that you do this, that you get up a little bit earlier than you you could get away with. I pray that you find somewhere in your house to come before God. And I pray that you read your Bible. And having done that, and you've had your coffee, and you sit at that moment to consider about to speak to your Creator. Christian friend, do you pray with a consuming passion for the glory of God. Can that be said of you? Do you pray with a burning desire for the glory of Jesus? Do you? If not, this morning I'm saying to you, change the way that you pray. Like take this pattern of prayer that Jesus Christ gives you, take it into your life and take it into your practices because this is true and I want you to hear it. The more you pray for the glory of God, the more you pray for the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more that will become your number one concern in your life. We are to pray concerned for the glory of God. Then there's a second principle here. Our prayers should also reflect a reliance on God for everything. Our prayer, your prayer, should reflect a reliance on God for everything. Because... Isn't it like, as we move on on the text here, that we've pressed that selfie button on our phone? Has your phone got a selfie button on your camera? Surely my phone is not the only phone that's got a selfie button on it. You know that button where you press it on your camera phone and uh, suddenly you're frightened. You know, you press the selfie button and from the lens being looking at suddenly there's a wiggly face staring back at you when you press the selfie button. Maybe that's not the case for some of you. It is for me. But is, do you see what I'm talking about though here in the text? Because about halfway through this prayer, from being focused on the glory of God, the creator, do you see what Jesus does? Jesus flicks the Lord's prayer, this model for prayer. He flicks it round to us and our concerns. And is it not the all-encompassing nature of what we've to pray for that strikes you. Would you look at it with me? Look at verse 11. It's everything we've got to pray for. You look at verse 11. We have to pray for our material needs. I wonder, friend, do you do that? Do you pray for your material need? Did you pray acknowledging that every single thing you need, your basic needs, they come from God? Do you pray for that? So you've got material need. Look at verse 13, because it gets more and more interesting. Look at verse 13. We have to pray also for, I'm going to call them our moral needs. Plead him a God daily that we be led not into temptation but delivered from evil. Do you see the idea that we pray daily that God protect us from, I'm going to say ourselves, to protect us from ourselves and from Satan? 
So we've got material need. Do you pray for your material need? Do you pray for your moral need? But then most of all, look at verse 12 with me, my friend. Do you see we have to pray for our spiritual need? Look at verse 12, read it. Jesus tells us to pray for, give us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I want to pause over this because what I think we could do is we could speak to a fundamental error that a lot of people make with this short section of Scripture. And I, I am sure that some of you in here know what that error is. See, some people look at verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. They tie that up with verse 14, have a look, where Jesus says, if you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And do you know what people do? People conclude that in this section of Scripture, Jesus is speaking about the way to eternal life and salvation. As though Jesus is saying, oh, you want to be forgiven for your debts that you owe God. You want to be forgiven for the debts that you've accrued by your sin? Then all you need to do is forgive others for the wrongs they've done to you. And then everything's swimming. It's a tit-for-tat relationship. You want to be forgiven? All you do is you forgive people the wrongs they've done against you and you'll be saved. You're fine. Now, come on, Christian friend. You know that that is not what the Lord Jesus Christ here is saying at all. In fact, you know this, don't you? That the only way that your debts with God can be cancelled is if they are nailed to that wooden cross of Calvary. And you know that here Jesus is not speaking about the way to salvation. What is he speaking about? He's speaking about the fruit from salvation. That we forgive others the wrong that they have committed to us. Why do we do that as Christians? We forgive others because we have been forgiven. And we can linger on that and we can unpack it. But I can't do it. I can't do it. Because I want to suggest this. And it's very serious. I want to suggest that there is a basic teaching about prayer in front of us that you and I largely ignore. There is teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ here about prayer that either deliberately or inadvertently the Christian community either pass over and we just overlook. And that's a very serious charge. So what am I talking about? Well, I ask you, look at verse 12 and what is Jesus saying to us to do? I have said every single week in the sermon series that largely the Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon of the Mount is speaking to whom? He's speaking to us followers, not speaking to the world. He's speaking to his followers. And what does Jesus tell us to do in verse 12? He's saying, as Christians, that you and I should be praying on a daily basis, praying for what? Forgiveness. Daily basis, you and I should be coming before God, thinking through our specific sins. And the Lord Christ is assuming you and I bring those sins in confession to God. Am I not right? Is that not something that, by and large, we overlook? We might at best at the end of a prayer say, and forgive our sins. But we're not doing this, are we? We are not thinking through our sinfulness. The way we transgress God's law, we are not analyzing this, taking it to God, confessing it in sin. 
And so I have to ask you, friend, this week, do that. This week, starting now, starting today, starting this afternoon, go home, find the cupboard, pray to God and confess, even as someone who has been cleansed wholly in Christ. Wash your feet daily in prayer. And then we end, we close with us. Last principle. Our prayers should reflect a saving relationship with God. A saving relationship with God. And you can see, if you've been paying attention, following me through this, you can see that I have not so cleverly left something out, haven't I? Kind of predictable, I reckon. Because we've, we've dealt with the petitions, we've gone line by line, in a sense, through the, the Lord's Prayer. But we haven't said nothing at all about to whom we to pray. Nothing about how God is to be addressed. So would you just, as a last thing, look at it in verse 9. Who do we pray to? Do you see it? Our Father in heaven. Now we could, I think, mention the corporate focus of that, couldn't we? We are to pray not just to my Father. We pray recognizing we're part of a body. We pray our Father in heaven. And we could, we could, couldn't we? We could look and notice in the fact that God is in heaven, our Father in heaven. We pray to someone who is powerful and almighty. But you know where I've got to linger on, hover on? Because what do we see? Last week, were you here last week? Did you hear Dr. Kelly? Wasn't it beautiful? Our prayer as Christians is rooted in a familial relationship with God. That should change everything for you. That should incentivize your prayer. That should motivate you this week to pray like you've never prayed before. That you get to speak to God and you get to speak to him as your God. You know, you get to speak to God knowing that he cares for you, loves you as a child. We get to pray to our Father by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We get to pray, Abba, doesn't it motivate you to pray? But then, of course, ah, it breaks our hearts, but there's a, there is a flip side to that coin. I know right now, I know this surely is true, that there are people in a, a, a number like this, people who don't know Christ as Savior. Right? People who are, this is new to you. The idea of being at a church, this is totally alien to you. And I have to say this to you, and it is genuinely quite hard to say to you. You don't get that privilege. Like, you don't get to pray to God as Father. Like, see, this model for prayer isn't actually for you. That what the Bible says to you is that you are not a child of God outside of Christ Jesus and saving faith. And do you know what the Bible describes you? Do you know how it describes you? It describes you as a child of wrath. That you're not outside of Christ, a child of God, but a stranger and an alien, a child of condemnation for your sin. And so surely, in light of that, and in light of the fact that here you're learning, you owe God debt for your sin. Debtor to God. Surely this morning, you see, my unbelieving friend, what you must do, it's so simple. You must pray. That's it, isn't it? In a nutshell, it's not about at the end of the service speaking to me or speaking to Reverend Perkins. It's not about finding a mature Christian to speak to about these things, although that is great. It is about you praying to God. Because listen to the promise that God makes. It is so beautiful. First John 1 verse 9. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just. Wait for it. 
He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Isn't it a marvelous promise? If you confess your sin to God by grace, you are able to speak to him as your God, your Savior, your Redeemer. Even today, if you confess your sin to God, if you repent and believe in Jesus, you get to join us in speaking to the Creator. And how? How do you address him? In Christ. Our Father who art in heaven. Friends, let's bow and let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. There is, I doubt, even one believer in here who is content with their prayer life. And so we thank you that we are instructed by you, pushed again to renew our prayer lives by this model of prayer you've set before us. But we are more thankful, Lord God, for what you have done for us in Christ. We thank you that the Lord Jesus has prayed in a way that we cannot pray. He has lived the prayerful life that we fail by our sin to live. We are ever so thankful that our debts, our sin, these debts accrued before God, that they have been taken. They have been born on the cross, the punishment for our sin. And we cry out as a congregation, Lord, would you break down walls of unbelief? Would you make these things new and real to some in here? Lord, would you take foolish words, would you make them real in the Holy Spirit, and would you save to the uttermost rebels in sin? Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.